This is Trail Tales, a running podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean Soban and David Waters. We'll discuss everything to do about running. It doesn't matter if you're a new runner or an experienced racer. The stories and guests at Trail Tales ARP will keep you entertained. From the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild! Season 4, Episode 7 of Trail Tales ARP is brought to you by Coach Talk with Sean and Alex. Check it out at trailtalesarp.com. Also check out our YouTube channel, Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Trail Tales ARP. I am your host, Sean Sobon, and I've got a special guest with me today from the great sunshine state of Florida, and I have with me Beth Choi. Beth, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Hi, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and you know, for our audience, they didn't—they're not going to see all the technical issues we've had for the past half an hour almost. But thanks for sticking with me and, and trying to figure this out. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, Beth, um, let's just get right in right into our interview here. So, in your early life, you weren't always a runner, um, but were you were you always a physically active person? And if so, what kind of sports did you prefer to do? Yes, I was always um, very physically active. Um, At the age of five, I started swimming um, because I had pretty bad asthma and that was helping with that. And then when I was six, I also started playing tennis. Okay. Um, And I took both sports very seriously. Um, But when I turned 10, um, my parents said to me, you know, it's time to to choose one to really focus on. Um, And I, I always loved tennis. So um, from the age of 10 on, I was one of those um, kids growing up that really was focused on um, just one sport. Um, I practiced every day after school. I traveled. Um, I started playing national tennis tournaments. And um, my highest national ranking was number 60 um, in the United States. And I loved it. People ask, you know, were you pushed by your parents and I always say no I push them I was like when am I going to go to practice I have to go to practice. and I had to practice every day and that was my focus um and then um by the time you know it was time I was in high school um and I ended up going to to Rutgers University and I'm from New Jersey okay. so I went to Rutgers University um which is a big state school in New Jersey and I got a full tennis scholarship to play there and um, I played all four years. And then I actually, after that, um, I taught tennis as well um, for, for years. And I love giving back. Um, and it's always been a big, a big part of who I am is, is tennis. Wow. So you were no slouch then getting a full scholarship and ranked 60 in the entire country. That's, that's quite remarkable. Oh, thank you. It's a real talent there. And yeah, I I think, you know, when people ask if you're pushed by your parents and you're saying, you know, you kind of push them. I've told my kids, you know, I had my my oldest son, he's uh, he'll be 20 in January. And he said he wanted to be a professional football player and a professional basketball player. And I was like, 
okay, but you have to kind of live, breathe and eat this stuff. Like when you're not yeah, doing anything, yeah. you're out there shooting hoops or, or training and, you know, he it's didn't really have time. that drive. So obviously yeah. he didn't get there, but I think it has to come from within to get to that. Yeah, it does. I had that. I, I did miss out on a lot, you know, um, so it has, its, you know, I'm glad that I played and I loved it, but, um, you know, I gave up, I sacrificed a lot to, to do it. Um, you know, the high school years with friends and, um, you know, just other activities I didn't do as much. So, mm -hmm. um, but I, I chose that and I loved it. Yeah. You know what? I think you made the right choice. Speaking from my personal experience of just, you know, hanging out with your friends, not really doing mm -hmm. much. I look back and wish if I could have an opportunity to go back and I try yeah. harder, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know you, you haven't always been a runner, but you are now and, you know, quite accomplished runner, but we'll get into that and to how you started running in a bit, but let's talk about your race history net right now. So what races have you been in? Um, so when I first started, gosh, in to the end of 2008, um, I was recovering from an accident that I was in. So I was, um, I, I was just, not taking it very seriously at the time. I just loved running and um, I fell in love with it. And I started running five Ks and um, you know, eventually got a little stronger. Um, I started doing, you know, some 10 Ks and then um, eventually um, it moved up to the half marathon. And then I remember um, I started getting more as like tennis, I'm competitive. So it went from, you know, just enjoying it and having fun to, um, wow, like maybe I can, you know, do something with this running. Yeah. So um, I remember the first time I ever placed in a race, it was a 5K and it was after I had my, um, my second son. And I remember at the time, my goal was just to break eight minutes a mile for this 5K. And I... I, I, remember, I, got, I got a 7.15 per mile. I remember I was shocked that I got in the sevens. I got 7.15. I was like, and I came in second place. Wow. And that's, that race from that day on was when that competitive inner drive in me came out. And I was like, I'm going to start training. I'm going to start seeing what I can do with this running. I love it. And um, so it went from, and I, and I, to this day, even when I, when I practice, sometimes it's out when I'm training for a race and sometimes it's just going out for a run because I just want to run and I love it and I need it. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm a little bit of, of both with that, but um, I definitely, when I'm in a, I will say now when I'm in a race, I'm always, I tend to always go for that PR <laughs> and I tend to train hard and it's just who I am. It's just, yeah, I give it my all. You've got, you've got that inner desire. Um, now, when you started running, I guess, you know, when you did that first race and you had that competitive drive kind of fire up again, that was kind of, I guess you'd say when the running bug hit you, um, yeah. have you used a coach with your running or do you just kind of train on your own and, and do your own research and figure out what you're going to do? So for years, I didn't have a coach and I didn't know what I was doing. It was just my time to be alone. I didn't want to run with anybody, with friends, with, I don't want anyone to tell me, okay, go for this time. I'm like, I want to just do this for me. And, and I didn't want to listen to anyone. I just wanted to run. Yeah. Um, but eventually um, I learned that uh, if I really wanted to improve and get better, I needed to, um, to get a coach and to, um, to change things up a little bit. So um, I did, I, I got a coach and I did learn about, you know, some days in practice have to be purposely very easy because I never wanted to take them easy. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, you know, it's just a mix of um, some, some tempo runs throughout the week. Um, you know, it's um, a speed day of like interval training on a track, um, a bunch of easy days, maybe a long distance day, depending on what I'm training for. But I learned, I will say through the years, I am very different than when I first started in those first few years, because um, I understand now if you want to get better, which is I do, you know, you need to, it, it's, you need to program, you need to focus, you need to um, even cross train without the running. Mm -hmm. I never, I just ran every day. I didn't do anything else. <laughs> so I, you know, I know I need to stay off here and there. And um, so I've learned a lot through the years and the coach has been great. And um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I often I often um, consider cross training almost like a secret weapon, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, much like you, when I first started, it was just all running and I felt very out of balance. I felt like, you know, my, my cardiovascular system was great. I could run, but my body didn't feel right. I felt weak. There's imbalance there. So I started doing some strength training and, and some cycling and stuff like that. And uh, most recently in the summer, I did a little bit of swimming and stuff. So it really does help. And I think it, it's important too, because you know, if you want, if you think you're in shape, go for a swim <laughs> and try to swim at a high level and that'll gas you pretty quick. Yeah. 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 So that's great. Um, let's move on now. I want to ask you what your favorite distance is to run and, and why you prefer that distance over any other, or if you even well, have one. I do. Um, so I, my, well, I'm the most proud of my 10 K time. Okay. Um, I, I got, um, a 42.57. So I broke seven minutes. I got from oh. 6.55 a mile. And I didn't think I could ever do that with 10K. And that's my, and I, I do feel like that's also my, my strength. Um, I'm not, you know, when it comes to the 5K, I'm just, I'm not like, actually, I'm really not the fastest um, when it comes to speed, but yeah. um, like straight fast speed, but I can hold a decent pace for, I, I feel like for a, a pretty decent amount of time. So I'm proud of my 10K. Um, my um, that's my favorite. Um, I still, <laughs> the only thing that I don't want to say I'm not proud of because there's nothing better than finishing a marathon, but out of all of my races, if I never PR again, won't bother me as much as when it comes to the marathon. Cause I tend to, I've always tended to like, um, not, you know, just have a rough last six miles. And I'm yeah. still in I've done nine marathons and I'm proud of that. And, and I'm proud of the fact that I've done marathons, whatever my time is, like crossing that finish line is incredible. Yeah. But I do have hope that I'll figure out how to really, you know, improve that. Yeah. Yeah. If you figure out how to run a strong last few miles in the marathon, you got to let me know because <laughs> that's always the most challenging part. Very challenging. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, I've thrown up. I've called my husband crying. Like, I can't move. Like, it's so hard right now. So I've had my ups and downs. Of, yeah, with a marathon. So yeah. I, th I think a lot of it, I don't know. I've always wondered if it's just, there's a mental aspect to it where you know you're so close to the end and yep. and you, you keep checking your distance. If you have a watch, I'm like, I've, you know, I'm, oh man, they still got like three more miles or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, I'm not moving. You could, <laughs> you could be at 23 miles and those three more miles, if your body doesn't want to move, it's like another marathon. It's hard, you know? It's like, it is. It really is. You know? And unless, unless you get there yourself, you know, yeah. it's hard to, hard to really understand how difficult it is. Yeah. There a few times it's, it's brutal. Yep. So, um, do you have any, any future running goals? I know a lot of stuff's been canceled now, but I know like Florida's kind of open with everything now. So have they started racing again in Florida? Are things open? So they have, but you know, of course it's, it's very different. Um, there, well, there's a lot of virtual races that's everywhere, but they're actually having like races in Florida where they're having like, um, 
different corrals. You have to sign up like corral A, then B, then okay. C, and this whatever you sign up for. And you in time, A is hard to get into. I've heard because so many people want to be in the top, you know, corral. Yeah. But um, they're doing their best with, um, you know, separating and everyone wears a mask up until the race starts. And again, this is I haven't done one since COVID, but this is what I hear from friends. I have done them. Okay. So, so um, yeah. Okay. And and what about uh, your future goals? Do you have anything um, in line or in, in your mind that you want to do? Um, with the, I do a little bit. Um, I want to improve my, um, you know, I all, I, <laughs> Every distance I always want to improve, but the half I will say is one that I really um, want to focus on dropping that time if I can, um, figuring out how to, you know, keep that steady pace throughout. Because when I, when I, when I run races, I will say that I'm that runner <laughs> that usually, um, you know, in the beginning I'm like, oh, I feel great, and I tend to usually go out a little too fast, and that those last few miles tend to, um, you know, I, I've never done a negative split like those last few miles tend to um to hurt so I, I would love to um especially with a half figure out how to drop my time and not you know fall apart those last few miles i hear you so, i think there's a lot of strategy involved in that mm -hmm. and you know really kind of keeping the brake on a little bit at the beginning so you have some gas in the tank at the end but it's yep. something that it's so hard to do because when yeah. you're in that race environment and like you who's super competitive you yep. want to get the lead pretty quick right i imagine yeah 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 all right, awesome. So that's that's a really good kind of intro into your into your running background and even prior to that your tennis background, which is which is really cool, high level stuff. Stay tuned for more of my conversation with Beth Choi after this short break. If you want to improve your running efficiency and even increase your times at certain distances, you have to get in touch with running coach Eric Boom. He's also a previous guest here on Trail Tales ARP. His effortless running program has been helping runners really improve their efficiency and improve their running times. Trail Tales ARP can offer you a unique link if you go to our website, trailtalesarp.com under programs. Click on the link and it'll get you set up with Eric to try his three-week effortless running program. He offers video analysis, breaks it all down for you, gives you drills, just like he's done for me. I'm really starting to notice improvements. You can also go to effortlessrunning.com, but you have to get in touch with Eric Boom if you want to make strides in your running. So let's get into the to the reason why you're here, Beth. You have a story to share. Um, I think it's an important story, an important message that you have. And, you know, we've been talking about running and, and running will often test our limits and push us to be better than we were yesterday. And it's always, you know, a constant process. And back in 2008, uh, you experienced a very harrowing experience uh, It pretty much almost cost you your life. Um, can you tell us about that experience and what your recovery was like? And I'll let you take it from here. Okay. So um, back in 2008, I was 30 years old. I was single, I was living in Philadelphia. Um, and um, I, I had a dog. And when I used to walk my dog, um, 
Well, I lived at, sorry, when I lived in um, South Street in Philadelphia, which had restaurants and bars and shops, and it was fun at the time, place to live. Um, and when I used to walk my dog, the um, owner of the restaurant below me, would um, he would have small talk with me. And I'd know him that well. And he asked if he could have a poker night um, in my house um, on a Saturday night. And, um, you know, being naive and how I grew up and um, I thought I could trust him. And I said, okay. So I um, went out with a girlfriend that night and he came to my apartment with um, some, some friends to play poker. And when I came back at uh, midnight, there were still a bunch of people in my apartment playing poker. Um, and um, so rather than asking him to, him and his friends to leave, I, you know, said, okay, guys, I'm going to go, um, we're, I'm going to go to bed. And my girlfriend slept over. And the next morning I went downstairs to, um, you know, make a cup of coffee. And there was some man I didn't know on my, um, on my couch. So I asked him if he would mind leaving. And he said, you know, I have no place to go. So, um, you know, it didn't, I didn't think, oh my gosh, this is a dangerous situation. Like get out. So I went upstairs and I told my girlfriend, there's some, there's some guy like on my couch, I want to leave. Um, so next thing you know, he, um, he came into my bedroom with my own kitchen knife and he threatened my girlfriend and I, um, he proceeded to rape me. And then, um, and then he left the room and looked at us with a knife and said, no, no, no funny business. So then, um, so then after he left, we didn't know if he went to the bathroom, if he, we didn't know where, where he went. Um, but I jumped up, I reacted and she froze and I, I locked my bedroom door and I ran to my, um, my window and I opened it. And I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, if he comes back in, I'm diving out of this window. And it was three stories up, um, breaking the door down and um, running after us with that knife. So I took off and I drove out of that window. Um, I, I fell pretty much, I don't even know. I, I, my head was, I suffered a very traumatic brain injury. Um, I was knocked out cold. And, um, but because I jumped, my girlfriend was able to, uh, I'm sorry, because I jumped, my girlfriend was saved because he ran because I was in a busy area of 10 in the morning and there were people out there. So he ran. Um, so, um, so then, you know, I, I was rushed to the hospital and I suffered a very severe traumatic brain injury. I was in a coma for five straight weeks and um, I broke 22 bones. So it didn't look like I was going to survive. And my parents got that um, awful phone call that no parent wants um, about what happened to me. So they rushed to Philadelphia to the hospital. Um, because I jumped with no identification, it took them two hours to find me. Wow. And my name at the time was Bonnie Trauma. <laughs> they didn't know who I was. Um, so then, you know, those five weeks, there were a bunch of ups and downs, especially that first week. It didn't look like I was going to survive. And then um, the main focus was my traumatic brain injury that my brain kept swelling. Um, and my parents were told that I probably, I would most likely not be the same daughter that they knew. Um, they didn't know if I'd ever be able to walk, talk. You just, you don't know until if I got up what, mm -hmm. what I would be like. Um, so then, um, so then, you know, after five weeks, when I woke up, I couldn't talk and I couldn't walk. 
and um, and then um, after a few days, I was transported over to an inpatient rehab facility um, that I lived in, and um, I was in a wheelchair. And I remember like little things like, like trying to like roll a ball or like a big deal. Um, and I did not remember what happened. I, I was confused and, um, and I, I really didn't know why I was there. Um, and then um, I remember when I first met with um, my dad and my mom and my therapist and they were explaining to me what happened. The first thing my dad said was, you know, you're a hero. Um, and and then anyway, so I was there for two weeks. And then after that, I moved home with my parents who became my pretty much full-time caregivers. Um, and, you know, I started going to um, therapy most days of the week. And, um, and then eventually um, a, a friend of mine from high school who owns a physical therapy facility, he found out what happened to him because my story happened to be all over the news by the way. So like it was, okay. everyone knew because it was, it was like a, because of how crazy everything was, it was like um, all over the news. So he reached out to my family and said um, that he wanted to help. So I started going to see to his um, facility and he knew that I was a you know very competitive tennis player. So um, eventually, um, oh, let me go back really quick. My first steps, so that's important. <laughs> Gotta tell you that part. When I was in the inpatient um, rehab facility, um, when I took my first steps, a nurse was holding me on one side and my dad was holding me on the other side. And then when I you know, started walking, I just remember everyone in tears of happiness um, because I was able to, to walk. Um, again, help, but I, it looked like I was gonna be able to walk again. Anyway, so, um, so then I, when I started going to my friend's physical therapy, um, it was just little, little things I was doing at first um with the trainer just help me get back physically but i remember um finally i was allowed to go on the, the treadmill and um that was that was so life-changing for me <laughs> um because at first i could only walk but eventually um you know when i got permission to run or jog slowly and then you know every you know i, I started getting a little faster a little faster but what I realized is that, oh my gosh, this is the first time that like no one's trying to take care of me. Like I'm by myself and um, no one's feeling sorry for me or taking care of me or anything. And I'm like, and I'm feeling strong. Um, and so every day at physical therapy, I needed to go on that treadmill. <laughs> I loved it. And the other um, patients that were there called me the girl that was always on the treadmill. <laughs> Cause I would spend like an hour and just like, just start running like every day. I look forward to that time. Um, and I think that's, was a huge part of my recovery when I look back on it. Um, so it was mainly the treadmill for a long time. And then my dad is also a runner. So okay. eventually I start running with my dad outside. Um, and then, um, he's like, you know, I want to try, you know, race. So I'd run a few races with him, um, just for, for fun, not going, time or anything and I and I it was enjoying the races and um running was just a huge part of who I, I was and um to this day I still um I still need it it's like um yeah no it's a big part of me and it changed my life so much yeah wow so it's going back to the whole treadmill thing you know at the beginning of this ordeal 
um, when you were in the hospital and nobody knew who you were, they were calling you Bonnie trauma. And, you know, for your parents to, you know, get that phone call and everybody trying to find you is just, it's a living nightmare. I can't even imagine that, you know, being a father myself and, you know, going through your progression, I think at, at one point, you know, you kind of became Bonnie treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> getting know, on that, right. get, getting yeah. on that, on that treadmill. And, uh, I, you know, I think your dad is uh, completely right. You were a hero by, uh, you know, that it turns out that sacrifice you made to your body and to your, to your well-being in your life, um, you know, certainly saved your friend yep. from, from being raped yeah. as well and everything. Yep. And, and, you know, I just want to say right now, like, thank you for, for sharing this. And I know that you've, you've gone out and you've done public speaking on this to, mm -hmm. to share your message and help people, uh, especially, you know, young girls be aware of their surroundings and things like that. And it just yeah. goes to show you that yeah. how, you know, um, a situation that you thought was, was going to be harmless can turn around in an instant and, and okay. put you in real danger. So, so yeah, when I talk to, um, to young girls, I always say like, nothing was my fault. Um, that's the first thing, but I also, you know, I, I want them to be, um, you know, let them know about being aware because yeah. bad things do unfortunately happen. Um, so I really, especially girls like before going to college, um, you know, letting them know, you know, be aware because this could happen, like, um, mm. letting, you know, being aware of surroundings and, um, you know, just taking care of, you know, themselves. And, um, I think it's just so important yeah. to, to be aware of potential danger. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I really want to ask you um, about your mindset because you're not a victim here. You know, somebody who experienced this, it would be very easy to fall into that victimhood mentality and, and not really live, quick, your, not I've, live I've, your life. You know? I've been asked um, when, when I spoke at a college um, a year ago, I was asked that question. Do you consider yourself a victim or a survivor? And I said, I'm absolutely a survivor. I do not consider myself a victim. I say what happened to me was awful. And I understand that, but I've found so much happiness since I found my strength. Um, and I, I, I tell my story in the hopes of helping others um, who've also gone through maybe something similar mm -hmm. or um, to prevent um, that happening. So I'm definitely a survivor and I'm not a victim. Yeah, amen to that. And and it's it's true because you know, I don't know a little bit about myself. I'm a paramedic. I've been a paramedic for 17 oh. years now. And, you know, if I've, I've seen so many bad things happen to people, any age group, all sorts of things. If you can picture it, I've probably seen it. And, you know, it left me in my younger years when I was in my early 20s and first starting out, especially as a student, you know, I started experiencing anxiety and things like that because I saw that bad things happen to good people. And, you know, I was scared to drive my car for a period of weeks and stuff like that. And then I stopped myself. I said, Sean, you got to live your life. You can't let this consume you. Yes, bad things happen to good people. It's a reality. But you have to live your life because all of our days are numbered and we have to make the, the best of them. And there's always going to be ups and downs. But, yeah, I think there's, you know, that mentality that you have that you're a survivor. You're not a victim of this is, you know, so important in recovery. Right. And, and, oh, and everything. So. So kudos to you for that, because that's, that's a lot of, a lot of toughness there. Oh, thank you. And I will say too, that, um, you know, because of my traumatic brain injury, I still forget words. Sometimes I'll say the wrong word. Mm -hmm. um, so I have some problem with my temperature control. Um, you know, I can't ride a bike. My balance is off. I cannot ride a bike or, um, but for the most part, 
you know, considering all that, I'm still so thankful. Uh, you know, I'm married. I, I have, I have two two boys. Um, you know, I found my strength. So um, yeah, I don't ever like look badly about certain things I might struggle with. Yeah, and I can run. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sitting here talking to you right now, I would never tell that you, you know, have survived a traumatic brain injury at all. And is it with your, with your thermal regulation, you have trouble staying warm or do you get cold or a little bit of both? Um, it's a little bit of both. I will say that one time, um, the only time I, I couldn't finish a race and it was actually a Disney marathon and it was Florida, but it was 20 degrees. Um, it was freezing and I, you have to get there like an hour, at least an hour early. And yeah. Um, I was outside and I remember shivering and shivering and I started that race and like something's wrong, something's wrong. So then um, I went to medical tent and I'm like, I don't feel good. And I took my temperature and it was at 91 and um, I had to stop immediately because I, I was, I couldn't control, control my temperature. Yeah. So um, sometimes when I get too cold, I cannot, I could like um, sit in a hot car and I don't warm up. Oh, wow. So I still have some struggles with that okay well, i hope that doesn't affect you too frequently because no i mean i can no i like i said i love i mean i'm in florida so yeah <laughs> i do complain about the heat sometimes but I'm, <laughs> i definitely better like that the cold i think yeah i guess the cold is is an issue for me yeah yeah the freezing well, cold yeah well, it's a good thing you're not here where we are we had our first snowflakes yesterday so <laughs> wow yeah yeah every october there seems to be some snow up here but um october. yeah crazy eh yeah so um, if you had to give some advice to, to young girls who, you, you know, are, are off into university and, you know, having nightlife and going out and just trying to enjoy their life and uh, have some fun in their younger years, what kind of advice would you give them to kind of give them the best chance to avoid getting into a compromising situation? Um, there's a few things. One is um, don't worry always about being too nice, too kind. Like, um, you know, if something feels feels wrong, walk away, get out of the situation. Even if you feel bad, like you're hurting someone's feeling, um, you know, it, it's not about being kind, nice, it's about being tough and knowing, you know, who you are and getting away. Um, I think that's very, very important. Um, you know, have fun. Don't live, you know, too scared at the same time, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's just good to always just be aware um, of, you know, when you're at a party, you know, look, hold your drink. Um, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, leave. Um, you know, just it's so important, I think, to just be so aware of, of where you are and what you're doing. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, this is one show that I want my daughter to listen to. She'll be 17 in December. And uh, she, she's got her first job and she works, you know, in customer service at a gas station just around the corner from her house. And of course, there are a lot of inappropriate comments made to her by, by older men that come into the store and stuff. And, yeah. you know, she told us about it. She says she just kind of smiles and, you know, whatever. And, you know, we've tried to impress upon her so much that, you know what, like, don't worry about their feelings. If they're saying something that's not right. You see, you know, I'm 16 mm -hmm. years old and I keep telling her, tell her, you know, my dad wouldn't appreciate that. And he's almost a black belt in Taekwondo, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Like, like make them uncomfortable because also, they, they have no um, right for that. Yes. And also look them in the eye. Like, yes. um, that's huge. What I learned is 
that, um, you know, if you're like, let, let them know that you see what they look like and that you're not going to, you know, if you look down, that shows, you know, a little bit of maybe weakness where they might mm -hmm. feel like they can. So look, you know, tough, look them in the eye and be confident with yourself and let them know that what's going on is not okay. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that, that comes down to just like, like our primal instincts, I guess, like it, we have dogs here at our house and, you know, eye contact with dogs is huge. And if a dog's going to look away or whatever, they're kind of submitting. So if you have that eye contact, it's, yeah. it's going to be received as a challenge by the other person. Right. And, yep. and if you show that you're strong and you're not intimidated by them, because they are effectively a predator at that point, they'll, they'll likely back down, Yep. you know, yeah. so. That, that's really great advice, Beth, and I appreciate that. And it, it's so important for for women to hear this story and, you know, for for, for even even men to hear the story. I mean, anybody mm -hmm. can, become, can, be, can be attacked for whatever reason, right? So it, it's yeah. not necessarily always going to be a rape. It could be a mugging. It could be whatever. Somebody yeah. could rob you, try to take your wallet, whatever it is, you know. And and I find, you know, I've, I've kind of tried to get better at it, but I find, with, you know, if I'm with my family or sitting at a restaurant, I'm always kind of scanning the room and looking looking for potential mm -hmm. trouble, you know, and yeah. it, it did get to the point where my wife was like, Sean, you're, you're very distracted here. You got to stop. I was like, okay, yeah. right? <laughs> likely <something laughs> that isn't going to happen. But I think my yeah. line of work and everything has made me a little bit paranoid. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really, uh, really important stuff. Um, I want to ask you, so with what you experienced, it, it left you with 22 broken bones and you were in a coma for five weeks, as you said, and, you know, coming back from those physical injuries alone must have been just a huge mountain to climb. Um, but let's talk about the yeah. psychological impact it had. Like, what did this do to you psychologically and, and how did you overcome some of those effects? So um, when I was first in the inpatient rehab facility, um, which happens with most people, I was, I was angry. Um, it's common with a traumatic brain injury. You don't quite know what's going on. And um, I didn't understand why I was not allowed to leave. Um, I had to stay there and my parents would be there with me pretty, my parents are amazing, I'm very close to them. And they were pretty much with me all day, but they left when I would go to sleep. Um, but um, yeah, so, so that was, I didn't quite understand what was going on really when I was there. And then when I moved home with my parents, I had a neck brace, a body brace, I was missing half my head hair. Um, so <laughs> life, I was 30 years old life completely had changed and um, I was pretty much starting over with everything. And it was, you know, obviously it was not easy. I, I was not like, eventually I did find my things that took a while. I, I went to therapy every day. I went to counseling. I, um, you know, eventually um, though, I will tell you one story that I, I think made a difference when um, I was going to um, my therapy, I went in with my counselor and I was having a bad day. And I was just like, I, I don't want to be here. Like I was just in a bad mood. And, and he, um, he said, Beth, um, you know, turn around, look at all those people out there right now. And there were so many wheelchairs and so many couldn't talk and couldn't walk. And he goes, they have a traumatic brain injury, just like you. Do you know how much you're inspiring them and giving them all hope? And that was the first time I was like, wow, like, um, you know, maybe I can eventually, you know, show, I mean, I am recovering, you know, pretty well each day. And, um, you know, I'm like, why, why be bitter? Why, why not, you know, be thankful that I, you know, God saved me and um, I made nothing other than a miraculous recovery. So um, 
I'm so grateful for how well, you know, considering I'm able to live a pretty normal life. I do feel like um, I do want to go now and help, you know, others. And it helps me telling my story. It helps me feel strong. Yes, I, that was me. I went through this and now look. Um, so the first time I decided I was going to run a marathon, I decided it was going to be the Philadelphia Marathon. And that goes directly past the street, the place that I was fighting for my life. Wow. So, you know, my family's like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, that's a lot. And I said, I absolutely want to do this. This is what I need to do. So, um, you know, I, in 2013, I, you know, I was on that starting line, my first marathon and mile five, I ran past the spot that I was fighting to survive. And I threw my arms up in the air and I was like, wow, this is like the strongest I've ever felt ever since, you know, here I am, I was fighting for my life. And now I'm running a marathon. Um, and before I did it, um, the one of the big newspapers in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Inquirer asked if they could write an article. They, they found out I was doing it. So they asked if they could write an article on, on me and, and what I went through because I was that girl that was all over the news that everyone knew about. Um, mm -hmm. And now here I was running a marathon. Um, like it's five years later. So, um, so I was like, yeah, you know what? That was me. You can say my name. You can say what I went through. And look, I'm strong and I'm running a marathon and this is what I need to do. Because a lot of times you hear stories about people that are attacked on the news. And I always wonder, like, are they okay? Like, what happened? So here I'm like, okay, you know what? That was me. And I am okay. And I'm stronger than I've ever been. So um, that's, that's the race that will always be the most special to me was that first marathon that I ran um, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Wow. That must have taken a lot of courage. And, you know, it's a very symbolic victory for you to to go over that spot and, and raise your hands in victory. And you're on the other side of, of such a horrific event. And, you know, like I said, you're just you're simply you're claiming victory over what happened to you. And you're yeah. like, here I am. You, you can't stop me. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. You know, that yeah, gives me so, that gives me also, chills. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, that was, um, and when I came in to that, uh, well, halfway, you know, my husband and friends were all there and cheering me on, and then when I came into that finish line, there they all were again. I had so many friends and and family, um, my two little boys, my husband, who were all in my first marathon. Like it was pretty. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Yeah. Wow, it's it, uh, you know, it's, it's um, amazing. Yeah. 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 It, it, do, do you think your, your, you know, your, your competitive background in sports and everything helped you get through all of this? And not to mention, we can't, we can't forget to, to thank and, and acknowledge everybody who helped you through this from all the medical people and your family, there supporting you and lifting you up and getting you through it. Right. So, so there's a lot. So um, I will say that because thank God I was five minutes pretty much from Thomas Jefferson hospital, which is one of the, best hospitals for um, dealing with tra traumatic brain injuries and everything that I went through. Wow. So um, right after this happened, I mean, it would have been very different if I wasn't close, really close and near a good hospital. So that was amazing. Um, the staff, um, everyone, I was going to call myself, what I hear is uh, that they, my, my parent, my family and friends all became close with a bunch of the nurses and doctors. And they were there for five straight weeks. And they were all amazing. They really, what I hear is um, they were all amazing. And my family, 
decided um, when I was there, they put a whole bunch of pictures of me on the wall. So the staff would get a feeling of really who I was as a person, not just someone in a coma fighting for her life. Yeah, so, that's, that's um, so important. Played, yeah, so they did that. They always um, you know, played my favorite music. And yeah, and my, my sister talked to me, my parents talked to me. Apparently my swelling would go down a little bit. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, and I, and I have to say too, another reason for um, you know, me feeling so strong recovering as well as I have is my family. And the friends that I have, I can't tell you how supportive everyone has been. Um, I'm so blessed to have such a, a, a great um, supportive you know, group. Um, and also, you know, like I said, I, I'm competitive and I was a tennis player and I have this inner fight in me. And I do think that was um, also a big part of it that I just never, I never gave up. I never, um, never gave up. I never wanted to sit in my bedroom and you know, not leave my room anymore and be depressed because of what happened. Um, and I joke with my husband because, you know, I'm like, okay, I love to run, but I turn to running, not like other bad, like alcohol or drug, you know, I'm like, I'm, I like to run. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and he's amazing. He knows that. So I need to get my runs in and um, yeah, but uh, you know, and, and I do feel that because I did recover so well, I mean, I broke so many bones, a traumatic brain injury, everything. And there were ups and downs in the hospital. I got pneumonia and like, oh, it, just, wow. it was just ups and downs throughout everything. And mm -hmm. um, because I recovered as well as I have, I do feel like I need to go speak and, and help tell my story. Yeah, I think I think your, your story needs to be heard by people um, for many reasons. You know, it, it allows you to, you know, again, to not be a victim, to show that you're a survivor of this. It's, it may prevent people from being put into precarious situations. And I think probably most importantly is it will show people that have experienced similar things or, or bad events in their life that, you know what, that's not the end of my life. That's not the end of my story, you know? I and, yeah. and I recently uh, interviewed, I think I mentioned you, uh, Kadivas Robinson. He's a two-time Olympian, uh, American mm -hmm. Olympian and competed in Athens in 2004 and 2012 in London. And he's wow. a very you know, effective motivational speaker. And we got into all sorts of a wonderful conversation, not even really about running, but just about you know, having a winning mindset and everything. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things he said, and I've been you know, carrying it with me is, you know, a setback is a setup for a comeback. And yep. I thought, how very true, you know, yeah. it, it, no matter how small a setback can be, whether it's something as little as you're having technology problems when you're trying to get somebody on your podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or something to the extreme from like what you experienced, the only, you have two choices to make and they are choices. You can either stay down or you can get back up and make a comeback and come back stronger than you were before, Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and it, it very much is a choice as much as you may not feel that it is, there yep. is a choice involved with it too. And, you know, I think that's so important. So for you to share that with people, um, you know, it's such a huge in inspiration. I hope that your story again, helps people prevent things from happening to them, but also helps people on their journey to recovery, whatever they may be recovering from. I hope so. That's why I tell it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it makes a difference. So very true. And, and the other thing is too, running is great because like you said, it's, you're not turning to alcohol, you're not turning to drugs, you're turning to running. So mm -hmm. it's a great addiction to have and it's yeah. cheaper than therapy. All you need is a yeah. set of shoes and yeah. you can go, right? So. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah so definitely. true, so true. Beth, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on the show and, and sticking through, you know, all the technical stuff we had at the beginning and everything. And thank um, you yeah, it's so important, you know, to, to share your story. And uh, we're going to get that out there. And I'm just going to leave you with a, a simple saying that we leave with all our guests at the end of every show, and that is to run wild. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I will. <laughs> awesome. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Trail Tales ARP. If you like our show, please help us out by subscribing to our show so you don't miss any new episodes. Also, by leaving us a review. And please visit trailtalesarp.com where you can get even more content. You can also follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP on Facebook at trailtalesarp. See you next week.